I know at the beginning of a year, this is a good time to get reconnected with the church family, get back into the process of worshiping the Lord together and studying scripture. And you're coming at a good time because we are right at the beginning of a new sermon series going through the Gospel of Mark. My hope is that your phone gets used to opening up to Mark, uh, Mark's Gospel and your Bible just naturally falls open to Mark's Gospel as we work our way through this. And so this morning what I want us to do is we're going to read Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And a bit embarrassing, mine was not open there, but now we're good. All right, here we go. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to pray together and get into God's Word. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together as the church this morning. God, we come together in prayer. God, beginning uh, just with prayer for so many people in our church family, in our community, in our world who are sick right now. We know many are at home watching online right now, wishing they could be here, but, but just not feeling well. And God, we pray for comfort and healing. Help us to be able, during these uh, difficult days, to know how to care for one another, to respect one another, to love one another. And God, I pray that in a world where there just doesn't seem to be a lot of good news, God, remind us of how great it is that we open the Bible and it says there is good news. Good news found through Jesus Christ. God, let us be a church that loves others well, that loves our neighbors well, that loves our community well. God, thank you for a church that's committed to caring for one another. And God, I pray this morning as we think about this good news, that you would prepare us for how we need to respond to your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So over the last couple of months, a little bit at a time, our, our family has kind of worked back into going to a, a couple of movies. I know some of you have done that, some of you aren't quite ready to do that, which I completely understand. Uh, but we've, we've attended a couple of movies. We saw Encanto. If you haven't seen Encanto, it's incredible. One of my favorite Pixar movies I've seen in a long time. It is really, really good. We, we watched that together. I think it's out on Disney Plus now. We enjoyed that. Scene two which is the rare sequel that I think was just as good as the original, scene two, uh, lots of fun. We really, really enjoyed that. Now, I haven't seen it, but for my older two kids, and frankly, tens if not hundreds of millions of other people, the movie they were really concerned about was Spider-Man No Way Home. Like, that was the one that they, that they were really focused on. I'm sure, I'm sure if I watched it, I would really enjoy it. Probably a great movie. Here's the problem, I would enjoy it as a great movie, but I don't live in the Marvel Universe uh, the way many of you do. <laughs> the way that when you watch all the movies and you build up connections with all the characters and you understand all the references, 
how all the movies begin to weave together. Amanda and I have been slowly working our way into the Marvel Universe, beginning at the beginning, trying to figure out what's going on here, what all the fascination is about. It doesn't matter if it's Marvel, or Star Wars, or Harry Potter, or Paw Patrol, or any of these, like if you experience these movies, you find yourself living in the universe created by these movies. And what happens is, you begin to see connections that other people would not see if they hadn't watched all the movies way too many times. And you begin to see the way these characters are tied together. And you begin to see the way all these locations are tied together and the way the storylines come together. And that's what it's like to read the Bible. When you read the Word of God, you could read one particular verse and get the idea but what you really want to do is read the Word of God and see the way it all connects together. That's when people begin to get excited. That's when reading the Word of God is not just, oh yeah, I went to the movie. It's, oh yeah, I see how this part connects to this part, and this character connects to this character. Take Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Now someone could go into a hotel room and pull the Gideon Bible out of the bedside table or they could download the YouVersion app on their phone and they could read that Bible and absolutely be drawn to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. That one verse right there, the truth that's contained in it. And, and so nothing I say this morning is meant to overcomplicate the good news of Jesus. That verse right there God might use in your life this morning to say, that's what I've been looking for. I want to trust in Jesus for salvation. And you can respond to that. But if we stop right there, we miss the power and the beauty of God's word and all that that verse reflects. Take the word beginning. Do you know any other books of the Bible that begin with in the beginning? Ah, yeah, the book of Genesis. Here's Mark writing this first gospel, what's likely the first gospel, and he begins with this idea of starting in the beginning. This new creation that God is going to bring through Jesus, Mark is connecting us back to that idea. The word gospel, a word that just means good news. But remember, gospel is not just a Bible word. Gospel is a word that was used in ancient culture to refer to the proclamation, the announcement of victory. And the people who were reading Mark's gospel, they would have known that the Roman Empire proclaimed the gospel as well. They proclaimed a gospel of peace and good news, and here Mark is coming in and saying, no, 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 the true good news is found in Jesus. Think about the term Jesus. What name in the Old Testament does Jesus connect back to? Joshua. God saves, the Lord saves. When Jesus is mentioned here, this tie back to Joshua, what does Joshua do? Joshua leads the people through the Jordan River into the promised land. Where is Jesus going to go to be baptized? What we're going to look at in a couple of weeks. To the Jordan River, and he's going to lead the people into this plan, this kingdom that God has for them. The term Christ, 
Remember Christ is not Jesus' last name? (laughs) Christ is this reference to Messiah, to rescuer, to all these pieces of the puzzle from the Old Testament that have been pointing to this redeemer, this rescuer who will come. Here he is, he is Jesus, son of God. The first person, first person referenced as son of God in the Old Testament, do you know who that is? It's not Adam, though there is a reference in the New Testament that calls Adam the son of God. The first person referenced as son of God in the Old Testament is the people Israel, which tells us when Jesus comes as the son of God, he is coming to bring to completion this whole story of the people of Israel that was started in the Old Testament. As it's written in Isaiah the prophet, why why reference Isaiah here? Isaiah, in many ways, is called the gospel of the Old Testament. When you think about this gospel message that Mark is giving here, the story of Jesus, the book in the Old Testament that's most associated with the gospel is Isaiah. The other event that Isaiah is most associated with is the Exodus. What is God doing through Jesus? He is bringing his people out of sin and death And he's bringing them into this proclamation, this kingdom of good news that's going to come. This verse from Isaiah shows up in your next couple of verses in your Bible. Look in Mark chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. What what is written in Isaiah that gets Mark's attention here? Well, it says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now Mark is saying here that this good news about Jesus begins with this writing of Isaiah that we know is pointing to John the Baptist. So you might think to yourself, and this is a really good thing to do when you're reading the New Testament and you see a verse from the Old Testament mentioned, go back to the Old Testament and find that verse. So what verse from Isaiah is Mark quoting here? Well, it's a little trickier than that. (laughs) He's not just quoting one verse from Isaiah. What Mark is doing here is he is combining three different verses from the Old Testament into this passage that he says is coming from Isaiah the prophet. He's combining Exodus chapter 23. He's combining Malachi 3 verse 1. And he's combining in here part of Isaiah chapter 40. Now, Is this happening because Mark just didn't go to a good Sunday school? Like he should have gone to the Emmaus kids Sunday school class where they really learned the Bible? Like is this the problem that Mark didn't go to Sunday school? Get your kids in Sunday school at Emmaus, they learn the Bible incredibly well in Sunday school. Uh, Is it because Mark didn't go to Sunday school? No, he's doing something way cooler than that. What Mark is doing here is this common strategy of picking up passages that are related together and then interweaving them in a way that gives greater meaning than any one of the passages would have had by themselves. So Exodus 23 is a passage about how God will send his angel in front of the people to bring them into the promised land. So it's connecting back to Exodus language, God bringing his people out of Egypt, bringing them into the promised land. So Mark is picking up that part of the story, which tells us, As we read the book of Mark, what should we be looking for? Exodus ideas. Mark is keying us in. Pay attention to this. Then he goes to Malachi. Which book 
in the Old Testament is Malachi in your Bible? Well, it's, it's the last one. It's the one that is leading into the New Testament story. So what has Mark done here? He's picked up the first prophet, Moses, and the last prophet, Malachi, and he said that both of them are talking about this messenger who is going to come, and in the case of Malachi, it was talking about God coming back to the city, God coming back into his temple. An Old Testament passage about Yahweh is now being used to refer to Jesus. What is Mark saying here? He's saying when you see Yahweh at work, this is the work of Jesus as well. He's connecting the two together. And then Isaiah chapter 40, if you'll make a note here, Isaiah 40 is the turning point in the book of Isaiah. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah are talking about how bad things are. Chapter 40 turns the corner and says, yeah, but that's not the end of the story. In a world in which it seems like everything is going wrong, here's a message of good news. I want you to watch the screen. Watch these verses from Isaiah 40 that build up after the one that Mark quotes. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Verse five, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. What does Jesus do in his ministry? He reveals the glory of the Lord. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Verse six, a voice says cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are but grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God will stand forever. And then verse nine. Go on up to a high mountain, Zion, herald of good news. Good news, that's our gospel word. That's our gospel idea that's showing up in Isaiah chapter 40. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. What is Mark trying to do in Mark chapter one? He is trying to show us how the prophets had proclaimed this good news of God returning to rescue his people, and now that good news is coming to fulfillment through Jesus Christ. That God's plans always come to fulfillment. That God calls his people to recognize their need for a savior and to realize that all of that hope, all of that need is directed toward Jesus here as the Savior. Now, that's that Old Testament. That's those prophets that are saying this. How does it come to us now? John, no, John the Baptist shows up. Mark chapter one, verse four. Mark chapter one, verse four. After this reference to Isaiah, it says, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist, which if you listen to the uh, Bible recap podcast that I know many of you listen to, Tara Lee Cobble on there refers to John the Baptist as JTB, uh, which is a really great way of referring to him. You know, John the Baptist is a lot to say, so we just call him JTB from now on. Uh, so, so JTB uh, appears on the scene here, and he comes as John the Baptist, John the one who baptizes. But what you have to see in John is that he is the bridge figure between the Old Testament prophets and this coming of Jesus in the New Testament. When you think about John, 
Think about him as the last of the prophets and the first of those New Testament preachers. He's bridging the gap here. He's saying he is going to draw the people to baptism to prepare themselves. And it's a baptism of what? Of repentance. This is not just going to get baptized because that's what you're supposed to do. This is baptism that is driven by repentance, which is still important for how we talk about baptism today, that we believe that when a person is baptized, it's not just that act of getting in the water that brings salvation. That baptism is a reflection of repentance and faith, this work that God is doing to forgive our sins. If you've not been baptized before and you have questions about that, we're going to talk about baptism more in coming weeks when we talk about Jesus' baptism. But just know it's no one trying to pressure you to get into the water to be baptized. The question you're thinking about in baptism is how am I able to display the work that God is doing in my life of drawing me to repentance, of forgiving my sins, of calling me to follow Jesus? How do I display that and this role that baptism has to play in that? Look in verse 5. This is a crucial verse when we think about baptism. Verse 5. All the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Okay, so try to put this picture in, into your mind to get the significance of this verse. Most people at the time thought, if you were going to find forgiveness of sins, if you were going to find God working in your life, where would you go? You would go to Jerusalem. Like, you would go to the temple establishment. You would go to the religious experts. That's where you would go if you really wanted to see God at work. What direction is this story taking us? Out of Jerusalem. That all these people in Jerusalem, all these people in Judea, are going out, away from the temple, away from this, what most people consider the religious hub. They're going out into the wilderness to John the Baptist, who, let's be honest, JTB is not on the inside when it comes to these religious figures. Uh, like, like, even look in the next verse, in verse 6. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. I don't want to hear any more comments about how I dress on Sunday morning, okay? No more at this point, all right? There are even some references here to the idea that he wears camel hair could be more of a metaphorical way of just saying he was a hairy dude. Like, he was extra hairy. Uh, and it was like he had camel's hair uh, all, all over him at this point. And the idea that he is wearing this leather belt around his waist, why make that reference? Oh, this is where the Bible's so much fun. Another, another figure in the Old Testament, the only one that we have a reference to who dressed like this, was Elijah. Elijah was prophesied to be the one who would come in Malachi. One like Elijah would come to prepare the way of the Lord. What's John the Baptist doing? He's doing Elijah's work dressed like Elijah. Like you couldn't miss this, that this is what he's come to do. And he's eating locusts. I know sometimes references are made to maybe this is more like the cacao bean or it was almost like he was eating chocolate. None of the research really backs that up. He's eating locusts, friends. Like, that's exactly what he's doing here. In fact, locusts are the only approved insect in the Mosaic law that people were allowed to eat. So he is doing this in a way that would have been understood. Anybody ever eaten a locust, cricket, bug of that type? Um, so in New Orleans, 
there was an insectarium that we would take the kids to when they were little when we lived in New Orleans. And you could go in this back cafe at the insectarium and they would let you eat bugs. Uh, like you could get a little cracker and it had these worms on there with a little bit of like pepper jelly. Pop those things in. Oh, man. You, you had to do it. The pressure was there. Uh, the summer after I graduated from college, we went to Southeast Asia to Cambodia and we went to a cookout and there were crickets just roasted out there as like a delicacy at this cookout. Now, I wasn't feeling particularly well at this point, so I passed on the crickets. Uh, so I've never actually technically eaten a cricket, but this idea of locust, I'm more of a wild honey man than I am a locust man uh, when it comes to this. But John the Baptist here, what's he doing? He's playing the role of the prophet. He's proclaiming this good news that, that your Savior is coming. Verse 7, verse 7 is so, so great here. What does John preach? Here's this transition from John as prophet to preacher. He preached saying, after me comes he, he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. What does John's gospel preaching sound like? I want us to think about this for a minute because this matters in our world today. What does gospel preaching sound like? Number one, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When you think about John's preaching, in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John in particular, John the Baptist saying, behold, look, here's the Lamb of God. Here's the one who comes triumphant. Here's the one who came to give his life for the sins of the world. I am not the Messiah, John said. He must increase, I must decrease. Hold me accountable to that every single week. Listen to preaching that sounds like that. Let's give our lives to sounding like that. Behold, here's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. If you need hope, if you need good news, look to Jesus. I'm not the Messiah. Some people get into spiritual leadership or religious jobs because they have a Messiah complex. There's that pressure. You, you may be living with pressure right now in your life feeling like you have to save someone else. God's put somebody in your family or at your workplace, or wherever you might be, and you feel this pressure that you have to rescue them, friends, you are not the Messiah. You cannot rescue them. Now, you can be used by God in really powerful ways, and we want to make ourselves available to be used by God, but it is a very important Christian phrase to say, I am not the Messiah. He must increase, I must decrease. Like, let that be true of my life. Let that be true of our church. As a church, we say that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. We want to talk about Jesus a lot more than we talk about Emmaus. Let's point people to Jesus, not ourselves. That's what gospel preaching sounds like. What does that lead to? Let's finish up with verse 8 this morning. Verse 8 is where we'll stop this morning. What is the distinction between John's preaching and what Jesus will do? John says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All throughout the Old Testament, these promises of when God would bring the Messiah, one of the indicators of that is that his Holy Spirit would be poured out on the people, that the power of God would be at work among his people, that God would work among his people from the inside out. This is just not something that happens on the outside, that this is the Spirit of God at work in our lives. Make a quick point here, just so there's no confusion. Some religious denominations, some religious backgrounds 
we'll talk about spirit baptism or, or baptism in the spirit. And, and oftentimes they'll talk about that event as something that happens after salvation. Later in a person's Christian life, there'll be spirit baptism. Every time in the New Testament, when baptism and spirit are used, connected together, it's at that moment of salvation. And so if you wonder, have I experienced spirit baptism, the question is, have you trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation? That at that time that the Holy Spirit comes to live and work in a person's life. Now we grow in the, our understanding and, and experience of the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and there are things that happen later in the Christian life, these powerful spiritual experiences, but spirit baptism, from a New Testament perspective, is in connection to repentance of sins and trusting in Jesus for salvation. What happens when you're baptized by the Holy Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit begins to show up in your life. You love people like you never loved people before. Your life is filled with peace and joy and patience that you know that you can never manufacture on your own. That the Holy Spirit gifts you and empowers you to serve people around you. The Holy Spirit convicts your heart when you turn against the Lord and draws you back to trust in him. The Holy Spirit opens your heart to want to hear Christian preaching and study the word of God. The Holy Spirit drives you to live by faith in a way that you never could before. My prayer for us this year is that we would experience the power of the Holy Spirit. May the Holy Spirit refocus your life on Jesus and empower you to live every day for him. At the beginning of a new year, the Gospel of Mark focuses our hearts and minds on the power of the Holy Spirit, reminding us that the Holy Spirit drives us back to focus on Jesus. If you're coming out of a season of life where you have not been particularly focused on Jesus, can I call you back to that this morning? And I wanna give you this image as we wrap up. As you go into 2022, do you go into this year with closed fist or open hands? What the Holy Spirit does in our lives is instead of holding on to things by your own strength, your own power, trying to fix these situations, holding on to past hurts, holding on to pain in your life, holding on to sin in your life, just you get tense looking at me doing this. Closed fist, can I invite you to make 2022 a year that you live with open hands? God, I trust you. I trust you to be at work in my life in ways that go beyond anything I could ever accomplish, anything I could ever do. God, take my anxiety and my guilt and my fear and my pain, and God, I give it to you, and I need your Holy Spirit to work in my life in powerful ways. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to pray for us as we get ready to wrap up. As you think about what it is to respond to God's word, what it is that good news has been preached by the prophets in the Old Testament, good news is preached when JTB shows up on the scene baptizing and calling people to repentance, and today, today we can hear the good news of Jesus as we study the word of God together and pray together and sing together. Let me ask you, think about your life right now are you living your life primarily with your fists clenched, just trying to hold it together, holding on to past hurts, holding on to something that someone said to you, holding on to a fear? Does your life feel tense right now? 
Are you living with open hands? God, I give my life to you. I want to build my life upon the truth of your word. What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to do a really, really good work in your life this year? Remember the preaching of John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you need salvation today? I am not the Messiah. We have a Savior. We're not him. But how would God work through your life so that people would focus on Jesus? God, help us to build our life on you, to respond right now with music and prayer, and then to go out from this place seeking to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.